0: So, I'm not going to do a review. Are we okay on the yeah. having a few technical difficulties? So does anybody have any jokes? not kidding <laughs> so um so just yeah, so by way of review, so session number one, foundations, and the the main takeaway from that is and and what you know, out of this whole thing, we just have to remember that that we're here to make passionate. Followers of Jesus Christ. And you know, all the other things that we talk about, those are just all things to get to that thing, right? So we can never allow things to get in the way of making, it, making passionate followers of Jesus Christ. But all the things that we do should actually encourage or help or get things going in that, that direction, and then we talked about our core values, and um, Rob was telling me last week that he listened to those online. So I just want to remind you that those are online, and I encourage you to uh, just really um, get those into your system. Because that, those core values are basically the, the things that, that we value as a church body, and it explains why we do the things that we do And so, those are, those core values are love, grace, Grace, simplicity, and dependency. So, then the second class was methods. So, that was the things that we do to accomplish or to get to making passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And so, we talked about the tools that we have. And they're very simple tools and they're biblical tools And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Um, Then the third class was the importance of the empowering of of the Holy Spirit. And so I really hope since we talked about that, that that's been something that you've been thinking about, praying about, and actually um, asking for the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Vital. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today, too. And then the fourth class was the structure, basically our church government. The main takeaways from that, the church government, was um, the Bible's sort of vague on church government. And I believe it's that way for a reason. It doesn't tell us exactly how to set it up. And I believe church government um, can, there's some flexibility there. But the main things is that the structure of our church is to help feed people the word of God. And so like the feeding the 5,000, we organize so that everybody gets fed the best possible way. And then we also saw that our organization shouldn't get in the way of our purpose, that it should help in our purpose. And then last week, so structure, and then last week, what was that about again? Serving, Serving, okay. So then we got into nuts and bolts of of serving last week. So today, and also next week, so these are going to be part one and two. We're going to talk about, and there's a little bit of overlap, but we're going to talk about some, some particular things which we'd call distinctives of Calvary Chapel. So, like, what sort of makes a Calvary Chapel a Calvary Chapel, and it's interesting, because I've been in, um, well, I was in a meeting one time, I was visiting a very, 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 very large Calvary Chapel in Florida, and I got to, they had like a regional pastors meeting, it was very interesting to sit in that meeting, because this was just a little bit after Pastor Chuck Smith passed away, and then you know, everybody is kind of groping for what, what do we do and what is a Calvary Chapel? And and so these Florida pastors were all meeting and discussing that. And because uh, it uh, it's like Pastor Chuck's was sort of the glue. He had an advisory board of Calvary Chapel pastors. They call that CCA, Calvary Chapel Association. And they would sort of talk about Calvary Chapel things. And then at the end of the day they would look to Chuck and say, well, what do you think? And he would kind of have the final say, like, oh, and everybody would be like, okay. But when he passed away, it caused some division to where there's actually, Calvary Chapel is actually split. I don't know if you guys know that. But there is uh, Calvary Chapel Global Network, CCGN. And then there's Calvary Chapel Association. So Calvary Chapel Global Network is, uh, Brian Broderson started that because he was, having some contentions with the CCA guys who... These were the guys that Chuck appointed to carry on the Calvary Chapel thing. And then Brian Broderson had some other uh, ideas and differences, so they actually split. And, you know, so some, some people are Calvary Chapel Global Network guys. Some people are Calvary Chapel Association guys. And some guys are just... Feel like it's much to do about nothing, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm both of those things. So, anyway, so personally, you may ask, well, what about you? Well, what about us? I identify and I connect and resonate more with Calvary Chapel Association, which was the board that Pastor Chuck appointed to carry out his heart and his mission. But at least currently we're part of Calvary Chapel Global Network. At least we're on the on the list. And I didn't see any like reason to say you know, we're dividing from them. We don't want any part of them. But you know, we'll see how things go as things go develop and go along the way. But you know, those things are sad things. But anyway, be that as it may. So this the things that we're gonna talk about today are the things that Pastor Chuck actually said, "Are these are what is a Calvary Chapel?" Okay, so we're gonna and and he has a book you can read called Calvary Distinctives, and I've actually taken these from that and condensed them down. But you can read that; can actually read it online for free. And right in the introduction, it's interesting. He he, right in the introduction, he says that really what what a Calvary Chapel is and what makes a Calvary a cha- Calvary Chapel is the teaching of the, the balance between the teaching of the Word and the Holy Spirit upon the teaching of the Word. And it's interesting because when I was in that Florida comp or the Florida meeting and hearing all this discussion, that was one of the things that some of these guys were saying that, especially, yeah, they, they were saying that you know you don't have to teach through the whole Bible. That's not what Calvary Chapel is. It's not Bible teaching. It's not this and it's not that. And they were sort of moving. The guy that was saying it and some of the other guys were agreeing, they were starting to align with the Hillsong movement. And I knew where he was going with that. And you can't read Calvary distinctives without right off the bat realizing a Calvary chapel is a church that's teaching the word and has the Holy Spirit and believes in the gifts of the Spirit to anoint that. And that, to me, is the essence of Calvary Chapel. So I'd encourage you guys to read Calvary Distinctives as well. But we're going to look at it just four of those points, or four of the things about Calvary Distinctives today, and next week we'll look at four other points. And these are actually chapters in the book. So, number one, Calvary Distinctives. What is, what is a Calvary Chapel? What makes a Calvary Chapel a Calvary Chapel. So number one, it's um, God's model for the church. So Calvary Chapel, where do we take our model from the church? So, you know, if you're a Baptist church, you've taken, you know, you have a, a, a form, a structure of a church. If, if you're a Methodist church, they have their form. You know, most denominational churches are really uh, sort of rigid on the form, the style, the, the way they do things. At Calvary Chapel, we take our model from the church the best we can. We take it from the book of Acts and the first church. It wasn't long after the first church that the church got messed up. You look at the book of Revelation and you see the seven churches, right? So the probably the most pure form or pure model of the church is from the book of Acts. And what you'll notice here in the book of Acts is that there wasn't a firm structure. And I think that's another thing that's uh, distinctive about Calvary Chapel is not so much a firm cookie cutter thing. But a Calvary Chapel should have the freedom, the flexibility to be shaped by the Holy Spirit, which would make each Calvary Chapel sort of distinctive and unique, even from each other, with the binding element of the teaching of the Word of God. Does that make sense? So the the book of Acts then, that's where we want to draw our model for for the church. So in the book of Acts, what was the thing about the book of Acts that was so amazing? It was, it was this was a church that was led by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because I believe this is what God is calling us back to one, as individuals, and two, as a church body. Now, it's interesting, when I moved out to Texas, I I didn't realize that there are so many things brought to the table when people would start coming to church here. And it's usually, usually your church background. You bring that to the table. So you... There's a tendency to measure everything within a church by your past experience. And so, you know, if something's done a little different than you're used to, or something's not fall. you, you wouldn't believe the stuff I've heard people say. We've, I've had people be upset because we don't pass out an offering thing and pass it around because that's the way they did it in their church. But, you know, you, you think, gosh, um, you can maybe understand that, but... Then people that have come here from other Calvary chapels would always say, Well, at my Calvary Chapel, we'd and, and they don't get that a Calvary chapel is not a firm structure. That the you know our church is very unique, our church body is very unique because God's working here, you know, in, in a unique way and doing things unique. You we can't look at our church and say, well, at Costa Mesa, they're doing it like this, or the church that I came from, Pacific Hills, they do it like this, and, you know, Rawls Church, does it. we we can't do that. So, I I had to learn about that, too, because, you know, in, in my mind, I sort of had had it all kind of the way I thought it was going to be, and then as God starts to work, He starts to undo, like, road till the land, like, the way you thought it was going to be. And he's doing his whole new thing. So, one of the real key things is that it, there's no firm structure of a Calvary Chapel, but it's the Holy Spirit working uniquely in an area and in a group of people and through a group of people. And so that we can embrace that. I think that, to me, that's exciting. So, I put up here that there's this, this powerful dynamic in the early church, and it's the, the working of the Holy Spirit and next slide, please. So, wow, this is really interesting to me. Um, as you read through the book of Acts, there is so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit that the book of Acts pretty much started with the disciples waiting. There's no church at this time. Jesus died, rose again. He said, Go and wait in Jerusalem. They're waiting. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. That's when the church was born at Pentecost. But as you read through the book, it was just the whole thing was the Holy Spirit this and the Holy Spirit that. But I I listed a couple up here in Acts 13, 2 and 3 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, and laid hands on them, they were sent away. So that they were constantly just sensitive and praying and, and operating in the, their gifts and their understanding of the Lord. And remember, at this time, the Bible hadn't been, the New Testament hadn't been written. And so they had the Holy Spirit. So they're like, you know, they had the Old Testament. They had what, Jesus, what they saw in Jesus. So, you know, the letters, the pills; these are all forming at this time, so they had to depend on the Holy Spirit. So then in um, Acts 15, 28, it says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Like, I just wonder if we ever refer to the Holy Spirit like that. Like, you know, our decisions, like, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit that we do this or that. How would it seem good to the Holy Spirit? How would we know that? There's a... a It's a peace that comes in our heart when we're in accord with the Holy Spirit. When we're not forcing our agenda and our thing. There's a peace and there's a unity about it because the Holy Spirit is in every believer. And the Holy Spirit is working in one direction through a whole bunch of different people. And there's the unity there. The unity is in the Holy Spirit. So they're all this, I, I think that's neat. Or it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and then to us to lay hands upon or to lay upon you no greater burden than the things necessary. And so they're very in tune to the Holy Spirit. Next slide. So then uh, another occasion in, in Acts 16 and 7, it says, After they had come to Mysia and tried to go to Bithynia... But the Spirit did not permit them. So now here's an example of the Holy Spirit saying, whoa, Nelly. You know, sometimes we just think if we want to do something, we should do it. But the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's saying, go and stop. He's directing and redirecting. He's working. And, and the thing is, if, if we're all yielded to the Holy Spirit, we'll all be like-minded about this, right? So then um, Acts fourteen thirty one. it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So there again is the unity that they all came together. And the key of the unity was is the Holy Spirit was the common thread in, in everybody. So the Holy Spirit would lead, direct, would speak to, would guide. And then everybody would be like, well, yeah. Because the Holy Spirit is working the same in all of us, right? Maybe we have u- unique um, parts of the way the Holy Spirit's working in us. Like there's a diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, right? So there's, we're not all like robots. We're all uniquely individual And this is the amazing thing about the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is yielded under the Holy Spirit, all these individuals that come from all these different backgrounds, all different places in their walks, as the Holy Spirit's working, they're all the same in their desire and in their understanding of the will of the Lord. That's what I think is most important now in the body of Christ, the unity in the spirit. Okay, next slide. So then, this is what we're talking about. This is God's model for the church then. So now, God's model for the church is not a firm structure. and, And this is what I believe happens a lot with denominations. And this is what we see even happening with Calvary Chapel, that the further it gets away from the source... Then the less it becomes about the Holy Spirit, and the more it becomes about we used to do it like this or a form, a, a way that, you know, and sometimes, you know, even now, denominations that have been around for so long, what we don't realize is some of those denominations, we're talking the Holy Spirit was working so powerfully that, you know, the Methodists and the Baptists that were still running on the fumes of some of those revivals that have happened that are so amazing if you read about them. And these are these denominational churches that now, you would never know that because they're, they, they, they tried to bottle the Holy Spirit We're like a Whitfield or a Wesley, if you ever read about these guys. Just ridiculous the stuff they're talking about. I was reading this quote from Whitfield and he'd go around and he was saying, George Whitfield, He he. One quote. He said he went and he preached a morning and evening service to about eight thousand to ten thousand people, and he said as he was preaching, the Holy Spirit in the afternoon service fell on the people so much that he couldn't and he couldn't and the people couldn't even hear him talk because of the mourning over their sin, the the groaning over their sin and the crying that was going on. The people, the Holy Spirit was moving so powerful. But now, as you try to make it, you try to systematize a movement of the Holy Spirit, now you've systematized the Holy Spirit out of it. We have to watch that. And that's what's going on in some cases within the Calvary Chapel. This is, you know, some of the the fight of that is, you know, trying to structure or just be inflexible Holy Spirit. So we want to make sure that that never happens to us. Now, in the early church, they really just were, there's very simple models, four functions, Acts 2.42. And it was very simple. They, it was about doctrine, teaching of the word. It was about breaking of the bread, fellowship, and prayer. Acts 2.42. The simplicity of that. But see, the dynamic was the Holy Spirit in, in that. And what happens is is when we sort of squeeze out the holy spirit and start to systematize or start to think that, you know, we know a good way to do it or a good formula, now what happens is that simplicity is not enough. If simplicity is not enough, it's usually we're inserting our flesh into the equation. That's why simplicity is such an important core value for us. So, in Acts uh, 242 Um, It says they continued steadfastly in prayer, fellowship, breaking of the bread, and doctrine. And here's a quote from Pastor Chuck Smith in regards to the model for the church. He says, make sure the people are well cared for, and God will take care of the rest. Never worry about the size of the church, just be faithful. The ones that are there and the ones God brought for us to minister to. You know, what's interesting. He's saying that not as a guy who had a small church. He's saying that as a guy who had a, a church so big, the Guinness Book of World Records had said that his baptism that he had at Pirate's Cove Beach in the early 70s, I believe, was the largest baptism to date on record, at public baptism. So, And he's the guy where... There's close to 2,000 Calvary chapels across the world. So he's not a guy that's, that's, you know, just a small church guy and say, don't worry about the numbers. He's a guy saying, God will take care of the numbers. You don't worry about the numbers. You worry about the people that are there. Feed them, take care of them, have the best fed and the best loved people around. And all the rest of the stuff is up to God. So it's a, a simple model. You good? Everybody good? Alright, let me take another. Ah, okay. <laughs> next one. Whew. All right, next slide. And next slide. Okay, so um, just a couple things. I i kind of talked about this before, but God's model for the church, we take from Acts uh two. 42. And you notice in the parentheses Acts 6, 3, and 4. And that was where they um, were starting to get overloaded with work because there were Hellenistic women, widows who weren't being taken care of. You remember that, where they said, So we need help. So they got people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, with wisdom, of good reputation. To help with the distribution. And it said, but we must give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So that had that was that was in the forefront of the church. And that was important. And Satan is always looking to take away from that, to distract from that, to get people busy, have the church run. More as a business and de-emphasize the, the teaching of the word. The teaching of word has to be emphasized. Remember, there's not a lot of things that we're doing. There's like four basic functions of the church. And the teaching of the word, and, and you can see nowadays that's, that's becoming more and more rare. That be the Bibleist pulpits and the prayerless pulpits, So that's important. We have to stay the course in that. That's crucial. So, next slide, please. So, um, can you back up one more time? So, God's model for the church is that it would be a church led by the Holy Spirit, um, directed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing was... Then the basic four functions of the church, a simple model. And then the third thing, next slide, would be the importance that God gets the glory in everything that we do. So with, within the Calvary Chapel, it's important for us and his model for us that a pastor is not lifted up as the reason why something's so great or Uh, program in the church that comes in and oh now the church is doing so good because of this program or that we would point to something other than Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Don McCuller. Have anybody heard of Don McCuller? A few people. He was one of the, I think he was the first pastor on staff for Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel when the church started to grow. But anyway, um, Pastor Don McCuller, there was a Another Calvary Chapel that started to get really big, really fast. In those days, Calvary Chapels in Southern California got really big, really fast. I heard Rawl just recently, Raul recently say, I've never had a small church. And that he's right. As soon as he started, you know. So, but anyway, the, uh, Dom McCuller was watching this pastor on TV. And he was being interviewed by a local radio station. And in in this interview, um, Don reports that he's saying, if the pastor doesn't say it's all by the grace of God, I know it's not going to be very long for this church to go down. And so he was praying that this pastor, they asked him, what's the success of your church and why is your church so successful? The pastor didn't say it was the grace of God. He pointed to... Either himself or something they're doing, and it wasn't long after that that the church just went down and so it's very important that God gets all the glory as soon as God's not being glorified for what we're doing that's that's the moment that we're we're pretty much done. you can consider it a downward spiral from there, so God has to get all the glory and I put some scriptures up there, but um john twenty one seven which is back there that's why we have it it's the Lord and the the context of that was they're fishing all night, didn't catch anything. Then Jesus comes. They didn't know was him. He said, hey, toss your net on the other side. And their nets were full. And then they recognized it was Jesus. So when we recognize whatever happens here, it's the Lord. It has nothing to do with anybody else, not an individual, not a program, not a marketing campaign. It's the Lord. He gets all the glory. The last point about God's model for the church Is to remember that the building of the church is God's responsibility. And to be able to distinguish what God's responsibility is and what our responsibility is. So, the Bible says, upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus said that. So, that's not our, building, church building is not our concern. Faithfulness, being faithful is our concern. So in your ministries, in your personal life, in your personal, just being faithful is your thing. And God will add the increase, and whatever the increase is, we could be satisfied with that. We're not in a numbers thing, we're not in a power trip thing, we're not, you know, these, these sermons on, being, uh, on the Beatitudes are really ministered to me quite a bit, but it's also reminded me of the importance of the body of Christ. That we're not, you know, we're poor in spirit. That we're broken over our sin. That we're appreciating the grace of God and walking in that. And we're not parading ourselves as a next best thing since sliced cheese, so to speak. Um, Next slide. So now the second distinctive. So the first distinctive is God's model for the church. Second distinctive is about now building the church. Now, didn't you just talk about that? I did talk about that. But I want to point out something that's so important. It's a quote by Chuck Smith. At the top, it says, what you strive to gain, you must strive to maintain. And what he meant by that is, if you're doing all this stuff and hyping up your church and having all these gimmicks to get people in, how do you keep them there? You have to keep doing that. You have to keep doing those. So if a person comes to your church because your Sunday morning thing is is all hyped up and it's got people all excited and it's got your people saying, come to my church and watch what my pastor does. He's going to swing in like Tarzan and there's going to be a Corvette on the stage. And Well, what do you have to do next week? You have to top that right you have to keep upping the bar and when you go down that road now you have to put all your chips in that bag and you have to keep that machine going and next thing you know you've created a monster actually no calvary chapel pastors when the um i don't know it was probably like early 90s or something when the um what was that? The seeker-sensitive movement kind of came in and um, the uh, Rick Warren thing and all that. I know Calvary Chapel pastors have started to do that. And I know one guy in particular, he he talks about that. He talks about how exhausting it was. and He talks about he was burning everybody out and he talks about how everything was geared towards getting people there and how much money they got because, you know, each... Each Sunday service was so expensive that much of the income went to just that service. And he, he actually spoke at a conference one time and he, he like repented from that. He said, I, I got all caught up in the hype and went into big church that I forgot Jesus Christ. And I left him back there because it became about my thing. And so that's what we have to be careful of. If At the end of the day, We want to be able to walk away and say, whatever happens, that was the Lord's doing. We don't want to be thinking, is this a work that I did? Is this going to pass through the fire? Is this really just my thing? But see, when we just surrender it and submit it all to the Lord and walk in obedience to the Lord and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, then we know it's genuinely, at least the best that we can do, we know it's genuinely the Lord. Does that make sense? So um, then another quote by him, he says, Calvary chapels are minus the hype. This is so interesting. because You know, he wrote that, and now a lot of Calvary chapels have gotten into the hype. And it's interesting because his church, it was so simple. Calvary chapels were so simple. You know, he would just be doing, you know, sitting and teaching the Bible. But it was the Holy Spirit. That made everything so exciting. And it was the Holy Spirit that was stirring things up. But I, I just find this so interesting that he, he wrote this as the guy who God has worked through him in such a powerful way in just in recent history. And everything now seems to be just completely the opposite of this. But he said, Calvary chapels are minus the hype. We're not into the carnal pursuit of new programs or spiritual hype to try and appeal to a people. It's the word we trust, we teach and rely on. It's the foundation upon which we build. It's inexhaustible. And so the word of God is the thing. And God blesses the teaching of his word. And, And that's why I believe that God has worked in our church and that God will continue. And I believe, especially as the word of God gets more and more rare, that people are going to be seeking a place that's just simply teaching the word of God. It's so refreshing and so amazing. And a lot of times people don't even realize that's really what they need. But once they start getting a taste of it, you realize, I can't go back to... The light stuff, I need the word of God. So we're going to be built on the word of God. And, and even if all the Calvary chapels go a different way, which they're not. But I know you now. Some, there's some different of, opinions. But that's what makes the Calvary Chapel a Calvary. That's why I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. I can get into that. I can get behind that. Because I've seen what it does and I know how it changes people. But you know what? You have to be patient, don't you? You have to be patient because just like a farmer when you put the seed in you wait, right? You keep working on the soil, you keep watering. You keep, and I believe, you know, if you're going to if you're going to sow the seeds of God's word, you got to get ready for the harvest. But you have to be patient. And I think sometimes that's where pastors or churches it's not fast enough. You know, it's it's not you want something more. We got you know, I Remember the 40 Days of Purpose with Rick Mormon, a program. You write a book, and now there's a program. And now all these churches, we're going to do 40 Days of Purpose so our church can grow. And it's like, that's sad to me. Just teach the Word of God and let God do what He wants and, and be patient and let it come to fruition. And so I, I think, you know, we've been teaching the Word here for like 14 years. Imagine all that's going on underneath the surface. Uh, you better be ready. That's a lot of seed going out. So then, next slide, please. There's a couple scriptures. Um, for lack of time, you can write those down. But it's basically God has to build the church. And we believe that. Next slide. Number three, in our distinctive positions, in Calvary chapels, you should be able to go to any Calvary chapel in any place in the world and find there's going to be a pastor that are teaching the Word of God. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's a, that's good. So, and that's starting to change a little bit. But that should be the thing. We get people from different Calvary chapels here all the time. And that's what they, they say. Oh, I'm so glad you, know, you guys are teaching the word. That's what we do at my church. And that's what links us all together. But another distinctive, number three, and there's, there's four today. So there's just one more after this. This is important. We, as a Calvary Chapel, emphasize... Grace. As a Calvary Chapel, we understand we're saved by grace. As a Calvary Chapel, we understand we're saved by grace and we stand in grace. And we understand every single second of the day, every breath we take, we need the grace of God even to exist. Our church exists because of the grace of God, not because of anything that we're doing. It's just the grace of God. Now, the practical implications of the emphasizing of the grace of God means that we have to be patient with one another, that we don't put these rigid standards, unless they're biblical standards, that squash out the seed of God, but we have grace upon one another, and we understand the church, I put it up here, but this is... a from calvary distinctives we're more like paramedics than police meaning we're here to heal with the love of god and the grace of god not to correct everybody's behavior we believe behavior correction is a function of the working of god in a person's life and we're all at different places And again, of course, there are biblical issues we have to deal with. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we give grace to one another. We allow one another to be, forgive the term, idiots, to be dumb, to be selfish, to be that. Because we're all growing in grace. And there's sometimes we need to be spanked. So that's what Robert's for, to spank people when they're getting out of line. Just kidding. No, he. No, not kidding. He's kind of. That's kind of what he does. But, but we need somebody like that. But we're we're into restoration, and and that's really important because, you know, as again, we're going through the beatitudes. It's like we we understand. We're not we're not here to tell people how to think and what to do and how to do it. I'm extremely hesitant when people ask me, what should I do? I usually say, well, what is the Lord telling you? What does the Bible say? I'm not going to tell people what to do. Unless it's, a, you know, somebody saying, should I have an affair or not? Yeah, I'm not saying that. Clear biblical issues, I'll say, well, what does the Bible say about that? Yeah, that's your answer right there. But we want to be a church that, like Jesus, that a sinner would be comfortable around us not necessarily in their sin but they would be comfortable that we love them and care about them not we're judging them and telling you know telling them they have to be like us be very careful and understand that it's the grace of God in our own life even the Bible says if you're going to restore somebody you better make sure you're right with God your heart is one of compassion and love and and soft and sensitive before you start putting all these rigid requirements on people. So that's a, that's a distinctive of Calvary Chapel. Um, next slide. There's some scriptures if you want to jot those down. Can you go back one more just in case? Yeah, so there's a couple scriptures there. Hebrews 13, 9 and Matthew 5, 7. And then the next slide. Matthew 16, 14. Matthew eighteen twenty-two, and Galatians six one. Okay, next slide. There's a couple more: John eight nine eleven, woman caught in adultery, and then John one seventeen, which says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I, I believe it is the grace the mercy the love the caring compassion which is like a a greenhouse for god to work and at the opposite of that the letter kills but the spirit gives life so legalism and those sort of churches maybe some of you have came out of those where you know you feel terrible because of the way you dressed and somebody said you shouldn't dress like that or you know, they feel terrible because you feel like people are judging you. And they didn't like the thing you brought to the potluck. So they think you're you're a sinner. Or you didn't bring anything to the potluck. And like, well. so, that's actually something that happened to me one time. That's another story, but anyway. Um, last thing. So. If you didn't get it before, the last distinctive we're gonna talk about today is the priority of God's word. And I know I'm talking to the choir probably because you're probably here because of the teaching of the word or that the word of God is taught. But a couple of scriptures to keep in mind in regards to that. So like why does Calvary Chapel like is it okay to teach topical messages? Is it uh okay, you know, to Not go through every verse of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line. And it's not a sin or bad to not do that. But it's better to teach the whole counsel of God. And that is a distinctive that we have as a Calvary Chapel that this is really one this is one of the ways Chuck Smith started teaching through the Bible like he does which I don't know you know when he started doing that I think it was pretty rare that anybody would ever do that but he recounts that he was reading through Haley's Bible handbook has anybody ever read that really great Haley's Bible handbook and at the beginning of the book the version he was reading it says the most important page in the whole book, Haley's Bible Handbook, was such and such page, like 112 or something. So it goes to 112, page 112, and in that, in Haley's Bible Handbook, it says, I'm paraphrasing, but it says, somewhere in the body of Christ, the body of Christ needs to be going through the whole Bible together. And that's how he started teaching through the Bible. And God blessed that. And... If you think about it, the you know not having a midweek service is common now. That was not common I don't know, 20 years ago. That was every church had a midweek service. In fact, when my kids were playing football, peewee football, they would never have practice on a Wednesday because of Wednesday service. And now there's very few of it. And then a part of that. Is they're saying, well, in, in midweek service, and I'm not saying, you know, you have, if you don't have a midweek service, it's unbiblical. I'm just saying this is what we do. In midweek service, a lot of churches say, well, we have home groups and things like that. But here's the thing. Where is the body together going through the Word of God? By someone who God has given the gift of teaching to teach the word of God to the whole body. It, home fellowships are great. We have home fellowships. They're important. But the church, it's critical that the church together go through the word together. And that's how we grow. And the thing is, if the church is not doing that, where is that happening in our society and in our world? Where is a person able to get the word of god taught in a way where god is moving on the word of god by the power of the holy spirit where is that happening in our society that's being squeezed out and that's probably the most important thing that our society needs so in a society where everything's being thrown out you know ten commandments and all these things in prayer in school and all that we can go on the church has to be then the salt and the light, the beacon that bears that torch because it's not going to happen anywhere else. Sure, I'm not saying it can happen in the home. It should be happening in the home. But people out there, they have to know Calvary Chapel is a place where I can get the word of God. They teach the word of God there. And Calvary Chapels have always been known that. That's a place where we can go and get the word of God. But you may recall in the book of Amos, it says there was a famine in the land. And it wasn't food. It was a Word of God famine. There's a famine in the Word of God. And I believe we sort of have put ourselves in a position. I'm pretty sure in our area, I could be wrong, but you can check it out and tell me if I'm wrong. I doubt if there's one single church that goes verse by verse, line by line through the Bible and is teaching the whole counsel of God like that. I'm pretty sure you won't find that. And there are good Bible teachers that are preaching the word. But see, Chuck's thing was people have to get grounded. And the way to get grounded is to feed on the whole word of God. There's a lot of things I, don't, I, don't, I would never pick to teach if I'm not going through the Word of God. There's a lot of things like that, if I'm honest. It wouldn't be like, you know, I'm going to teach Leviticus this week, or one book I have, I was really scared with, Song of Solomon. I didn't want to, and I knew it was coming, and it kept coming, and it's like, oh, man, rapture, please. But, and if you don't know about that book, parental advisory warning, go read it at home. But anyway, it's the whole counsel of God, so that we're balanced Christians. And you know what? I think you guys would agree. There's something about getting a verse in the full context of the Word of God. You know, if you're doing topical teaching each week, then you're getting a verse, but there's no way you can really effectively capture the context. Even as we're going through the the Beatitudes, I'm getting more comfortable in the flow and the context and the feel of it going through it like that. And so there's a couple of verses I wanted to point out. One is 1 Timothy 4.13. It says, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And so in the church, it was important that the Bible would be read together and that Bible would be read in such a way where people would be applying it and it'd be encouraged in it and laying a foundation of doctrine. And, and that's why we have such a problem in Christianity with our worldview. The way we view our world is because of biblical illiteracy and not able to stand on the truths of the Bible. Acts 20, 27, this is Paul. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It's not picking and choosing. It's the whole counsel of God. And You know what happens when we pick and choose? We're almost finished. You know what happens when we pick and choose? One is we, we become sort of imbalanced. And two, what we do is we focus on the symptoms and not on the source. When we do sort of Topical messages every week. We usually focus on the end of a thing like, uh, say, marriage or, I don't know, job success or whatever. We, we end up, you know, focusing on those things instead of focusing on who God is, who we are, and who we are in relationship to God, and the cross, and the gospel. And you know what? That usually takes care of all the symptoms, the Bible is more about who God is and less about all the symptom things. There are, those things are in there. But the majority of the Bible is about who God is and who we are and what God has done to reconcile us and being in a right relationship. When that's in place, it's amazing how the symptoms take care of itself. But if all you're doing is talking about the symptoms or the things at the fur- furthest end of a thing where the problem is really a problem with the cross and our heart and lordship and all these issues, we're never getting to the root of the issue. We're never getting to the gospel. We're, that's where the power is. It's in the gospel. Um, Isaiah twenty-three or 28, 13. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and caught. You know what was happening there? They are actually making fun of the teachers because they were saying, oh, you're just teaching uh, this, you know, Isaiah chapter this, and the, here a little, there a little. Dot. They were making fun of this teaching style, of teaching verse by verse. And they were doing that as the nation of Israel was going down the toilet bowl because they didn't know the word of God. They weren't standing on the word of God. And they had teachers of the word of God telling them these things and going through the oracles of God. And so a very similar I see in a day and age like this where going through the word of God, see like on a Wednesday night, for some people it's like choking down a prime rib without chewing it. They can't handle it. And we've gotten so far from biblical literacy of the very basic things of the truth. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, I wanted to tell you more stuff, but you couldn't even handle the baby stuff, the milk stuff. I wanted to give you meat, but all you can handle is milk. And he said, you weren't able to discern the difference between good and evil. Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and so the importance, you may not even realize, as you may be thinking, oh, here again, there again, there a little, there, here we go again, Wednesday night, this. You may not even realize the power of God's word that's going on in your heart that's happening. And so sometimes it might just be a little, a discipline. But I would encourage you to understand the ramifications of God's word, verse by verse, line by line, doing probably much more than we could ever imagine in our heart and in our mind to make us like Christ and make us all that he wants us to be. So it may not be popular. People may make fun of it. But let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? Uh, next one. I think that might be it. Is that it? Okay, so... Praise the Lord. So those are four distinctives. Like what is the Calvary Chapel? Well, that's what Calvary Chapel is. God builds a church. We emphasize grace and not legalism. It's a flexible model. It's a simple model. It's a teaching of the word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. So do we have any questions regarding those things? I do. Okay, there's a couple more verses you can jot down. Nehemiah 8.8. I love that one. They read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. That's exactly what we do. Here's a quote from Chuck Smith. It takes time, not quick results because people have to get an appetite for the word. The seed doesn't bear fruit overnight. You have to wait. The seed has to grow up and develop. And so when you invite people to church, you might say it might be hard. You have to at least go three or four times. You can't just say I'm going to go one time because you have to get an appetite for it, right? If I'm used to nursing my formula and I don't have my teeth grown in yet and my parent hands me a nice, juicy, thick T-bone, and I'm trying to gum it to death. It's going to be a lot. That's how it can be for people that, that come in. And you got to say, you know, you, you got to come a few times. You know, you got to. And then, but once people get it, once you get the word of God, that's all you want. You're not going to settle for anything less than that. Um, yeah. And then the last verse. And this is so. This is the confidence that we can take. Last verse, Matthew thirteen eight. But others, the seed, fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty. And that's what we need to pray. That the seed of God's word would fall on good soil and produce the crop that he so desires and sees fit. Amen? Amen. Any other questions? Yes, Dixie. It looks like it's just you know <laughs> <Just> I <kidding. laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean just to go down and say, you know, thank you like for this message that you know, help me to absorb every word of it today and just you know, because sometimes it just seems to just end and and it was it was so deep that you just wanted to give thanks and you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we can talk about how, you know, do we want every service to invite everybody to come down, or we can talk about those things. I'm open to that. Just well, I know that sometimes um, you think, oh, well, I've only got one song, you know, mm-hmm. and then if somebody else goes to pray, you know, well, mm, I'm waiting, you mm-hmm. Let me pray about that. Let's pray about that and see. Okay, anybody else? Yes, Brian. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what it does, too? It takes the emphasis off of the pastor and how creative or imaginative or good... It takes the emphasis off and puts it on the Word of God, which is putting the emphasis on God. So that's another thing is that now it's a, a lot of churches, are they're so pastor-driven that they start new churches and pipe in that one pastor on a video screen instead of raising up a pastor. and, and Because it's based on the personality of the pastor in a lot of cases and based on their career. And there's some really, really great communicators, speakers. But we want the emphasis to be on, on the Lord. And when you go verse by verse, line by line, it, and there's nothing wrong with topical message. Don't don't misunderstand that. There's nothing wrong with that. But somewhere in the church, the church, I believe, should be going through the Word of God together in its totality. Whether, you know, you do it on Wednesday night or something else, and on, on Sundays you do topical message, I don't know. But you're right. It takes the emphasis off the pastor and and even pastor chuck smith wasn't like super charismatic you know in fact in his earlier days of preaching he was not happy about his lack of charisma as people would think charisma so he tried to copy billy graham and his wife said what are you doing like who is who is that guy up there And, you know, sometimes that's how you feel, like, depending on the venue or whatever, you feel like you have to do more. I remember talking to a pastor friend of mine that just started a church, and he was teaching the Bible at an old folks' home. And he loved that. That was his favorite thing. But he said, on Sundays, it's like, I have to do, you know, feel like I have to do so much more. I go, whatever you do in the old folks' home, do that exact same thing in the pulpit on Sunday morning. You don't have to be any, it's the word of God that's the star. You know, it's not you and you don't have to, you know, dazzle people. You should be, you know, diligent to study and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think most of us would be pretty shocked if we read some of the sermons of some of these great pastors and preachers of these great revivals and how simple their message is. Have you heard a Billy Graham message lately? That's very simple. It's the gospel, and it's the cross, and there's power in that. So it's like, I don't know, somebody once said, that you don't have to advertise a burning house. You know, people are going to, whoa, what's that, you know? And then Spurgeon used to say, you know, you just have to let the lion out of the cage, the word of God. So there's, that's where the, the power is, and the Holy Spirit anoints that, and that's where the power to change lives is. So... Yeah. Good point. Any other questions, comments, concerns? Yes, Joya. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's just uh it's a blessing to have people that actually want to come to hear the word of God. And I do think that's a sadly a rare thing, so That's a blessing, you know, that there's a hunger, a desire that people, you know, you come on Sunday morning, Wednesday nights with your Bible, and you want to hear what the Lord has to say, and I'm thankful for that, so thank you. Anybody else? We good? All right, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together, and as we look at these things, Lord, I just want to pray for our church, Lord, that that you would protect it, that you would watch over it. I pray that you would bless it. I pray for any attacks that would come against it, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be poor in spirit in a day and age where self-interest and self-promotion is so popular. I pray that you would help us to have a right understanding of our own sin, Lord. And the privilege and an honor, the honor it is to to be able to be accepted into your arms by your grace. And Lord, I pray that our church would return a hundredfold fruit upon the seed of your word, Lord. The seeds that are sown. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like your hometown, where you could do no good work because of the lack of faith. But I pray, Lord, it'd be because of our belief in you. Because you put that belief in our heart that you would work here, Lord. That it wouldn't be anything of us, but it'd be everything of you, Lord. So, Lord, bless your people. Bless our church. And let our church be every single thing that you've intended it to be, nothing more, nothing less, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.